Hey, welcome to another episode of Apologetics in 15, a podcast put on by the Table Campus Ministry at Oklahoma State University. And uh, this is a podcast we've designed as a resource for students who are seeking to answer questions about God, Christianity, and the Bible. And uh, I'm your host, Drew Moss, and today we're going to tackle what, what a Christian apologist William Lane Craig calls the greatest obstacle to belief in the existence of God. And uh, there are a number of people, both Christian and non-Christian, who would agree with him that this is one of the more difficult issues to face when it comes to apologetics. Um, and that is what we call the problem of evil, or the problem of suffering. And, and the argument goes like this, if a good and powerful God existed— He would never allow the kind of pointless suffering we see in this world today. But since there is suffering, clearly he can't exist. And this is an argument that is as old as uh, the 2300-year-old Greek philosopher Epicurus. And and he had an argument that went kind of like this. um, Either God is good, but not powerful, or he's powerful, but not good, but he cannot be both. Because if you had an all-powerful, all-good God, surely he would be stepping in and and restraining evil, and he would stop a lot of the pointless suffering that takes place on this earth. And of course, the problem for us is, as Christians, we believe in that God, a God who is all-good and all-powerful. And what makes this a particularly difficult issue is that it is, for a lot of people, more than just philosophical. This is more than just an idea to kind of argue through. For a lot of people, this specific issue of, of suffering in the world hits very close to home, and it's personal for people and emotional, and, and a lot of people have experienced this. Whether that's as simple as turning on the news and seeing that a young man has walked into a school in Florida and killed 17 kids, or, or um, listening to the radio and hearing about Hurricane Harvey wreaking havoc in Houston or in Puerto Rico, uh, or or for many people even closer to home than that, um, people who have lost a loved one to a a disease or a senseless random accident. And it is hard to square that up, those experiences, to square those up with a God who is in control and is loving and good. Uh, I can remember actually sitting down with a student of ours one time who who. When he was young, he had a very close member of his family that was diagnosed with a permanent debilitating disease. And he said to me, basically, um, kind of, I decided if, the, if there was a God, I didn't want anything to do with him. I was just angry at whatever God may or may not be. And it's important to remember when, when we're talking through this issue that, that we are dealing with real people with real life, that this is an area of apologetics that Always, we, we want to try and to defend the faith, and we want to attack weak arguments, but it's, it's good to be remembered to be gentle and loving, especially as people have dealt with some very difficult things here. Um, so he, here's what I would say, though. There's four responses that I would make towards this argument. I'm going to try to do those briefly. It's apologetics in 15, so we're, we're aiming for 15-ish minutes. Um, but here's, here's uh, my first response, and, and this is in relation specifically to man-made suffering, that is... Um, the atrocities that take place because of wicked people, a, a shooting at school or ISIS, things like that. Um, and, and so the first response would be this, free will matters. And, and I'll, I'll also confess this, there are some Christians who wouldn't make this argument because they don't fully believe this argument, but I, I do strongly. Um, that is that God could have created a world in which everyone would automatically align themselves with his will. 
That is, they, they would do what he wants. They would love him, and this would mean they would never harm anyone. That They would never hurt anybody or anything like that. But um, what God wanted was a universe or a world in which people would freely choose him. That a universe like that is one in which God gets the most glory and, and he gets the most joy. And I, I would say we get the most joy when, when we're not pre-programmed robots who, who have no say in the matter, who will only do what is right, but we have the ability to freely choose him in love. Of course, the risk in that is that we have the ability then to not choose him and, and to choose against him and to choose wicked things, which can lead to some terrible, uh, terrible tragedies in this world. Um, but I believe that God has chosen um, to not always step in and physically restrain everyone who's about to do something bad. Uh, because if he did that, then if we're honest, he'd, he'd have to step in about a billion times per second um, in the world to, to try and stop everyone who's about to do something bad. And, and that's not the kind of universe God created or want. Now, this doesn't mean that he's indifferent towards suffering or that he's powerless to do anything. I believe he could step in, and, and I also believe that he often does. I think God is actively involved in this world and that he is, that he is restraining evil in ways that we may never even know about this side of eternity, keeping wicked men from doing wicked things. But there are a lot of times that he doesn't. There are a lot of times that he allows things to happen, and, and that kind of leaves this question, Why? If God exists, if he's good and powerful, then why would he allow so many other pointless and senseless tragedies in this world? Why would he allow wicked men to get away with things? Or what about natural disasters? Why do those things happen? And that leads me to my second response, which is this. There is a hidden premise in this statement. When we say, um, because there's so much pointless suffering in the world, God can't exist, there's actually a hidden premise, kind of an assumed uh, truth in that. Um, that doesn't get stated, and that's this. If something seems pointless to me, then it must be pointless. And, and, and that's obviously not true. Uh, this would mean that I have a mind that is brilliant enough to plumb the depths of the universe and fathom all mysteries, or, or that I have the ability to stand back outside of time and, and to know exactly what effect like a specific tragedy is going to have on history or on people 5, 10, even 50 years from now. And I just can't do that. I, I don't have the ability to, to know kind of the butterfly effect through time of specific events. And, and so I, I think it's important to recognize that just because I cannot see any good reason for allowing suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't have one. In fact, this is something that we've I think almost all of us have experienced ourselves in our own lives. Uh, many people would tell you that the greatest amount of growth and maturity in their life took place as a result of some of the most difficult, painful experiences in their life. And, and they, they, wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't say they're grateful for those experiences maybe or glad that they were happened, but they can look back and go, I am grateful for what I became because of it. And, and I'm not saying everyone who's ever had a tragedy or a difficult thing happen believes this or is able to say this. What I'm saying is, if in our limited understanding, even, even as human beings, we can see how often very bad things result in very good things. And if we can even from a limited scope see that, how much more does God have the ability to see that and enact those good things through very difficult, tragic um, moments that might take place in history that he allows. 
I like what Tim Keller says on this. He says, if you have a God great and transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, then you have at the same moment a God great and transcendent enough to have good reasons for allowing it. Um, Reasons that you and I may not be able to see. Here's my third response to this idea, and that is that rather than disproving God's existence, I believe suffering actually points to it. This is something that C.S. Lewis stumbled upon before he was a Christian. One of the things he used to look at is all the the suffering and, and how unjust the universe seems to be. And he would look around and say that there's no way that God could possibly exist because the, the universe is so unfair and so unjust. But then he, he said one day he had to pause and ask himself, where did I get that idea of unjust and just? Like if, if something is unjust, if I'm saying that something happens and it's unfair or it's wrong or it's unjust, that implies that there is actually a, a just or right standard that it fell short of. That, that it should have gone another way. Um, and that's, that's just not true, actually, if the universe is all there is. If, if the physical material world is all we have, then we can't say that something is wrong, that it's wrong when innocent people suffer, that it's wrong when innocent people die. Actually, the truth is, um, evolution kind of thrives on death and violence. That's, that's like the mechanism that has brought evolution to, to what it is as, as, as it is taught, that, that this is what helps those things progress. And so if all you have is a material world that's arrived through that process, then, then when people die, when suffering takes place, I, I think we have to say that's the way it goes and maybe even the way it should be. But, but the truth is none of us can say that. Like everybody, no matter how much they want to believe, that this universe is all there is, whatever. Everybody, I think, feels it in their gut when they see a child abused or when they hear about, um, uh, about wicked men from, say, ISIS taking over a town and the atrocities that take place in that. There's something in their gut that doesn't just say, you know, I don't really like that. That doesn't seem to be right or something. There's something in them that goes, that is wrong. There ought to be something better. There ought to be something different. And I believe that right there is a pointer to a God who, who has designed the world to be something different, to a standard for goodness and beauty and justice that he has placed in all of us. And all of us recognize it when we see suffering, that something is missing or wrong there. And here's my final um, kind of response to this, and that would be that Christianity offers an answer that no other worldview has when it comes to suffering. And that is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Through the death of Jesus, we are shown that God is not indifferent to evil and suffering. First of all, because we see that in that crucifixion, that the second member of the Trinity, God himself, and and no other religion teaches this. No other religion has something like this, that God actually comes and he doesn't stand back from a distance and watch our suffering, but he actually enters into it that he becomes human being, that he becomes a man, and he comes and joins us in our suffering and even takes our suffering upon himself. And, and it also shows us this, that God truly is just. And, and when we watch and we go, that's not fair, that's not right, when wicked people prosper or when, when bad things happen to good people, um, the cross is a reminder for us that God says, yeah, 
And, and I will put that to right at the end, that there will be a day when God is going to judge all evil and he will end all evil and he's going to end all evildoers, that every wrong thing that has ever been done will face punishment and judgment from God. Now, the good news for those of us who are in Christ is, is that all of my sins, all of your sins have already been faced judgment, that they've already been punished on the cross. That's what, that's what the cross is showing us is God's attitude towards sin, that his, his character of holiness and righteousness pours punishment and wrath on sin. He will make things right in the end, and he's already started to do that in Jesus. Uh, again, Tim Keller says this, what the cross shows us is the cross, is, uh, the cross allowed God to end all of our sin without ending us to do away with our sinfulness without doing away with us. And then you have Christ's resurrection, which is a sign to us that this life is not all there is, that we see when Jesus is resurrected and he comes back to life and he has a new body, it's this, this foretaste uh, of the fact that one day God's going to make everything like that, that there will be a day where death does not have the final say anymore, and, and everything is going to be restored and made right, and that little thing inside of your mind that goes, man, it shouldn't be like this when you see suffering, that, that God says that's exactly right, and, and what you're longing for is coming. Look at, look at Jesus and what he's done. He's, he's a, a foretaste of what is to come. And uh, the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, which is where we've been studying at the table. And, and Paul was a man who knew suffering. He suffered a lot. But this is what he says about his suffering. He says, we do not lose heart. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He says there's there's something more than just this life coming, and that's what we look forward to. So here's a question. What if the point of life, what what if the purpose of man is not pain free living? What if it's what if the whole point of existence is not a lack of suffering, but instead the purpose of man and woman is to know and enjoy God forever? If that's the case, that the purpose of us is not to avoid pain, then it would actually make sense that God doesn't step in every second to help us avoid suffering, because that's not his end goal necessarily. What he wants for us most, what is best for us, is for us to know and enjoy him. And Paul believes that that's what God is all about and that he has actually already stepped in and is continually stepping in every day to do that, to draw men and women to himself and to to lead us and the rest of the world and the rest of the universe to this day where in ways we can't even fully understand everything will work towards our good. And, and Paul says that even in, in ways that are hard to grasp, even my own suffering is going to add to my glory and joy and, and enjoyment of God one day when I, when I get to be in the new heavens and new earth. Um, so that's what I would add today. There's always, there's plenty more to talk about these things. Let, let me point you to just a few resources that, that I looked up and that might be helpful for you. Um, one is from Timothy Keller, his book, Reason for God, which I will reference a lot when we do this podcast. He's got a chapter called, How Could a Good God Allow Suffering? Would be worth checking out. Um, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, the front half of his book, has some apologetic stuff in it. And there's a short little chapter called, The Rival Conceptions of God, 
which is where he tells his story about dealing with suffering things. Um, William Lane Craig's website, reasonablefaith.org, has an article called The Problem of Evil, which would be really helpful to look up. And, and we'll put these in the notes there on the podcast for you to look at those um, when, you're, when you're listening to this. want to thank Alex Sheets today for his help in researching thing and, and always, always helps. Uh, thank you to Steve Broadway for helping us sound good. If you got any questions, email drew at thetableosu.com, and we'd love to answer your question on apologetics or faith in our next one. See you next time.